Hi everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of Jungle Coffee. Um, we have Sarah Nguyen of Nguyen Coffee Supply Company here as our guest. I'm here joined by my co-hosts Will Frith and Fwadi Pitsuin. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and across so many different time zones, which I'm, which is super exciting. <laughs> and impressive. Yeah, very impressive. We, of course, started this podcast and you are a no-brainer to have on our show. Everything you do at Nguyen Coffee Supply is everything that Jungle Coffee is all about. Mm-hmm. Giving voice to the region, um, to Vietnam, yeah. kind of putting... Um, like representation of Asian Americans on stage. So um, I guess for me, my starting point is, did did you have any coffee background prior to starting your company? Great question. Um, I had zero coffee background experience prior to starting Nguyen Coffee Supply. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, before I started, we launched the company in late 2018. And before that, I was working full-time as a freelance journalist and documentary filmmaker in New York City. Um, so that was my whole world, making documentary films. I made a few series for like NBC News. I um, traveled to Cambodia to produce documentary. And I was writing a lot for these different media platforms. And my main thread, my passion was always for increasing representation of the Asian American community and the immigrant community through media, right? That's always been my passion. And I, I majored in Asian American studies at UCLA. So that's really, I'd say, like the common thread between my, my previous work as a journalist and filmmaker into now as like a coffee entrepreneur. And people often ask that same question that you start out with Carmel, like, oh, did you have an experience? I'm like, no. And it's like, well, why did I decide to get into one of the most difficult businesses in the world of like and learning how to import and roast? Like it's so freaking complicated. And it was really because I felt so, you know, furious about the injustice that I felt was being done to Vietnam as a coffee producer in Southeast Asia. And, and just like this general, um, you know, framework that people have with Asian food and culture, Asian beverage, Asian communities, like this constant devaluing of Asian communities and everything that we produce. And so I was like, this needs to change and I don't think a film will solve it. So I, I guess I'll just start this company. <laughs> Uh, that's 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 crazy and also inspiring all at the same time and I for me I hear a lot of like the origins of Calzada how I started off in coffee because I remember reading an article about Will Frith and I was like oh my gosh he's going back to like his family's homeland but he has all of these credentials and I'm like I'm about to fly to Manila and I have zero knowledge about coffee yeah other than like (laughs) wanting to represent the Philippines in this global market you know yes yeah and I guess for you once you did say this is what I'm gonna do what did you do first what did I do first um I called my my family members my relatives in Vietnam um most of my extended family, all my aunts and uncles and my cousins and now my second cousins are all in Vietnam. So I grew up with a very small family in Boston. Like we never had big family gatherings. Um, And so because of my family network in Vietnam, I went to Vietnam often as a young person. And then I would go back a lot as an adult. And so in 2016, I was actually traveling to Cambodia to film a documentary called Deported. And before going to Cambodia, I went to visit my family. At that time, I was like, hey, family, I'm thinking about starting a Vietnamese coffee company where I want to import like coffee beans. Like, does anybody know anyone who has a coffee farm? Mom was like, actually, I do. He's a he's a good friend, and he took over his family farm. And I was like, oh, amazing. And 
my dad's side of the family is in Hanoi. And so we took a plane to the lot um, where we met my current producing partner, Antien. And that was the beginning of it. Wow. Cool. That sounds yeah. super exciting. And then I guess from 2016 to your launch in 2018, you learned how to roast, import, and also brand your product all in like, you know, two, two years or so. <laughs> yeah, pretty much two years. I, I didn't get super serious about it until I'd say like late 2017 and 2018. I was like, throughout 2016, 17, I was still pretty, like really busy just in my freelance career as a filmmaker. Um, but I did a lot of just like self-education on the internet um, about like Yumi's coffee and just kind of like, well, why can't I find Vietnamese coffee beans in the US? And then I realized, and then I discovered that, oh, Vietnamese, Vietnam is like the second largest producer. And so I just did a lot of like learning. And then also in my Googling online, I, I, I discovered all of this, what, how would I say? Like I, I discovered how mean the internet was towards like Robusta coffee. Mm. And I was like, things I was reading, like I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I feel so bad for the bean. Like it's like being so bullied in the industry. <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't even like a mad like personal preference. Like I just like Arabica more than, it's like Robusta beans are inferior and they are gross. It tastes like rubber tires, like grandma socks. And I was like, this is really mean and i'm like this is like beyond just like like a variety thing you know i'm like and so that was that really struck me as like a Vietnamese person i was like wow they're really mean to this bean and i and it i feel for it and i'm like is it any coincidence that vietnam is also the number one producer of robusta like i think not right like uh like being racism i think so or just like the evaluation yeah. of like asian communities in general and um yeah, and, and I think as I was like kind of like dissecting it, like I fully acknowledge that historic, there's a lot of cheap coffee like that's produced in Vietnam. And we, we have to understand why that is. So every time that people would dismiss that, I'm like, listen, I get that, but that doesn't change if we don't change our perception of it or our openness and willingness to engage with it in a new way, right? Right on. Yeah, who, who did you have to explain this to? Um, everyone around me really, but mostly people in the coffee industry, um, I feel like consumers don't really engage with that concept as much. They have, yeah. they, they, they're like, really? Robusta's bad? It was really when I started um, learning how to roast at a shared roasting facility and then like participating at like near coffee festival and then participating in the competitions there where I felt like I had to explain this often. I also want to shout out Carmel when in my lots of my internet research and Googling, of course I came across a little friend. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, Pioneer, he's been talking about this since like 2009 or like, like way before. And then I, I emailed Will. Will, remember our first yeah. email? Heck yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. I, I mean, it's, it's exciting. And also the education part, right? It's really the specialty coffee. And I, I spoke about this in previous shows where I talk about Calzada. I was like, my first experience was really in the Philippines working with producers and farmers. And then when I, my first coffee expo in Seattle in 2016, maybe, where we were small, I had like samples. And then I had to then now my interaction with um, the coffee community in the U.S. was at these expos. And prior to working in coffee, I was in um, Asian American activism and community work, working at the Wing Luke Museum. And so I was like, oh, now I have to tell these like white dudes, my people's coffee are great. You know, like there was this like mm -hmm. very different way of now like navigating some of those uh, communication styles right so yeah um, and i'm really grateful to have found a community and also see more folks up and coming yeah 
I have a quick question for you, Carmel, real sure. quick. So you mentioned you were going to the expos. Is that when you when you started Calzada, is it, were you mostly B2B? Is that why you were at these expos so much? Um, no, it was really to um, have folks try Philippine coffee first. So when we started off Calzada, I was actually we were roasting stateside. So we had a Kickstarter campaign and um, we started off similarly to Nguyen Coffee Supply where it was B to C. Um, we had a subscription model, but we had a different issue, which was farm level, which was a lot of the infrastructure was not built out like how it is in Vietnam when I visited Will and Kel to see the amazing infrastructure in Thailand and Vietnam where I was like okay we need to refocus on the farm level to really build out the wet mills and um, facilities to produce more coffee so we shifted Mm -hmm. and did Mm -hmm. production and that's why I ended up at um, these these expos. Mm, Got it. No, I, I'm just like, I'm thinking like where I want to, where I want to start. But I do remember that first email and I remember there being something, there's something different about this person. They're not just like some dude who wants to import the best of the best from Vietnam. There's like some sort of a meaningful mission. All right, let's take what we've got. Let's make the best with, of it. And then let's work on it, you know, over time, mm-hmm. which is such, mm-hmm. it's such like the right approach, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you want to engage, this is in general, I'm speaking to all of you roasters in the global north. Um, if you really want to try this direct trade thing out, you really have to meet people where they are and bring them along with you. There is no mm-hmm. way you're just yeah. going to find some like diamond that all you have to do is polish it a little bit and then it's mm-hmm. ready for your third wave friends mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. right the, so so when sarah first wrote me that was like that was immediately the thing that caught my attention and i was like yes i want i want to see this happen and so i thought i was like it, anything you need you just ask me this, this is, <laughs> I'm, i am ready at, at, at which point was that was that email, uh, Sarah? Like, was it or you already started uh, learning how to rose, or was it like actually at the beginning of like 2016? If you wrote, will I, I think it was. I think it was around 2018. Well, I, I can dig right. it up. I think it was. I think it was 2018, and and it, it, I just want to call it what you refer, what you just mentioned. Well, like how people, you know, often want like the best of the best, right? And it's like, well, how do how do how do we even get to the best? Right. Yeah. Like that was a journey in itself. And I had emailed Will recently where I'm, you know, as we're growing up, thinking a lot about like, well, how do we, um, you know, build out these systems for, you know, you know, with our partners in Vietnam and how do we maintain like this level of standard expectation? For me, I kind of felt this like, because I don't have a coffee background, I like we have to reach out to Will. I'm like, is there something I should be doing that's like going to uphold a standard? Like, is there an institution and organization or something that I should be following? And, and Will was like, just have a personal relationship with them and like communicate with them and understand their needs and understand what they need and, and just work together. And I was like, Oh, Oh, that's like, that's <laughs> enough. Like I, 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 like we have been doing that, but I was like, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Um, Are you following protocols? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Is this going to be certified? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. Cause people ask that over here, Steve said sometimes yeah. and, I was so relieved to hear you respond that way, Will, because I was like, yeah, it's truly about centering our relationship and the needs yep. of the people they're working with. And then, like like you said, 
like move it like with like exactly how you say like meeting people with the app but also like it's a journey to grow together right yep. exactly exactly and mm -hmm. you know and i think that that's so much a better place to start especially as a beginner um and you know when i moved to vietnam i felt like i was a beginner again you know like i may have had all this ex experience in the states but it did not prepare me for what mm -hmm. i experienced mm -hmm. and learned here um, mm -hmm. But I think it's always so much better when you grow together because you mm -hmm. you form you you have these experiences that end up being like something you can't replicate, something you can't plan, and you strengthen a relationship that way. And that's I mean th that's kind of like what people ask marriage experts and stuff too, <laughs> right? Like and and that's always the answer is like, well, you two have to work and change and grow together and yeah, blah yeah. blah blah. And it's exactly yeah. the same. It's a marriage. And, you know, and I'm not going to be that person who says marriage is work because it's, right. it's also a lot of fun and happenstance. And yeah. you got to be there. You got to be there to capture and experience it. If you're bringing all this like perception and expectations, you know, to it, you're going to miss out on those those things. How has that relationship gone so far, Sarah, with the producer partners, you know, from where you started to now in 2021, you know, it's the journey you're going through together. You yeah. have more production now, or you're needing more coffee. Are those demands being met? You've created a standard with them. Are those being met? Or how is that going so far? Yeah, it's going really well. And honestly, it's really exciting because it's exactly as you all have described here like it's growing together and because with my current producing partner my main one Antien a lot he's never exported to the US right and in Vietnam and he's very he's very very passionate about like cafe stuff clean coffee the clean coffee movement or the organic coffee movement and in Vietnam he's actually won awards and certifications for like having the, some of the best organic practice in Vietnam but like outside of Vietnam no one really recognizes that right however it has been such a journey because like it's his first time exporting to the US and he's always wanted to, but no one was looking at him as, you know, a green bean seller. And and I was my first time importing to US and something as simple as so like we're like always exchanging knowledge. Oh, like exporting like BOLs and ISS and customs, you need this, you need that. So it's like and in the beginning it's like, oh, key unhappy and vehicle, like key aim happy and vehicle. It's like when you learn something, you let me know. Or when I learn something, I'll let you know, right? And so it's like when we're like First, navigating our first palette together, it was like learning all these things and sharing knowledge and like, oh, FDA, oh, you need a sponsor, and like, oh, we'll sponsor you. Or like something as simple as like marks on a bag. He's never had marks on a bag. And so like, <laughs> and so literally in our storage facility, in our, our facility, they store green beans for, around the country, but the marks are literally like Arabica. <laughs> robust. <laughs> <laughs> when they first like it's still the marks in the system so when I call my bags it's like the marks are like the letters and so and then I I had to kind of like teach him like oh this is the mark system that our warehousing system uses and so now he uses marks right little things like that yeah, and yeah. and and it's cool and it's like cool because we're like growing together and it makes me think like wow like it truly is a collective investment and it takes time and it's like who is willing to place this investment into certain areas and regions and what regions are people willing to place investment in and not place investment in, you know, and, and I and I think, I know I'm not the only one doing it, clearly everyone's here, but it's like, it took me being a first generation Vietnamese American, I feel like to kind of 
start, whereas the industry for so long was not willing to have this conversation with Vietnam. Right? Like, oh, you don't know, you don't know Marx, then you're not, you can't possibly, yeah. you know, be good enough, right? So yeah, it's been a really exciting journey, honestly. And we've both grown so much and are really proud of us. And, uh, you know, I have a photo where it's like our first palette. I was like, oh my God, that first palette was so hard to bring over. Like we didn't know shit, right? About how to import, export. And now we like, you know, now we import, export containers and he's like a pro at it. You know, like, you know, that stack it perfectly, you know, that do everything and it's wow. wonderful. Yeah. How, how much has the volume grown so far from, from that first pallet to, to now? No, we do about two, two, two containers a year. So that's about like over 8,000 pounds. Wow. Nice. That is that's so exciting. Oh, also, oh my gosh. And the quality so has exciting. gone up as so well. So I also have to add, so um, we're reaching the point where we're, we're pretty much maxing out his farm, right? So now what we're doing is we're developing like an outgrowers model because he's a really unique partner where he also has like, um, the processing facility, right? To like, to like uh, process, process the mill and like dry and like, you know, process the beans for, um, for ship for ex for exporting. So now we're starting to have conversations about having outgrowers model where he would then work with surrounding family farms who are basically like his cousins and like family friends. And then he would be able to be like a point of like the centralized point of contact for like quality control and for processing the beans since like a lot of micro farms or family farms don't have that facility. Yeah. And that's why when I, I, I reached out to Will about questions of like, how do we, are there things we should be like implementing to like help as we develop the systems? But I guess it's just like an ongoing conversation with everyone about what their needs are. Yeah. 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 And who's willing to also take part in joining that, you know, core group of farmers. But I totally mm -hmm. feel you on the bag marks and stuff. I thought, you know, Vietnam had it down <laughs> with because you guys have all the infrastructure and you're exporting all the time. But there's still certain producers that have never done that themselves or never had to take part in, you know, they were just selling cherry, but not having to work through the process. Whereas, you know, yes. like you're you're learning that with your main person. For us, it was like yes. learning with an exporter that had never dealt with exporting specialty coffee outside the Philippines or even mm -hmm. a department of trade and industry that doesn't really see a lot of coffee being exported. So on the, even the government level in the Philippines, it was hard to communicate what we needed to have happen in terms of getting a certificate of origin because it wasn't a thing being done in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So but yeah, mm -hmm. um, it's all the fun stuff. I think every year we hold our breath when exporting. We're like, okay, do we have the new documents needed? <laughs> yeah. For us in Thailand, it's a different problem. I mean, the local, you know, authorities always demand some unpredictable <laughs> documents from us. Like, I don't know, this year, if we're going to have to do anything different. Uh, this year is, is the guy who would give us uh, phytosanitary certificate is he gonna ask for some back channel payment or is he you know it, it's all like this is he gonna understand if the guy is gonna understand if it's mm -hmm. if the stuff is already in crane pro then you don't need to open it because it's like already a vacuum like environment anywhere bugs will die before it gets to the u.s anyway so because some it's all all new to yeah. them for, for us so we don't know every year it, it changes i don't know if you have that I don't know if you have that in Vietnam or the Philippines. Oh yeah, yeah, we, oh, definitely, totally. definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and and on that note, um, in Vietnam, it, a lot of the infrastructure is kind of gate kept. Mm -hmm. So big 
multinational exporters are the ones who have all of it together. Mm. And, and then the local producers, even local processors have to sell to them in order to export. And so I that see. means all of that stuff that Sara went through with Antien yeah. is, you know, it, it's kind of rare that they get mm. that far towards the port with their expertise. So the, yeah. So you're, you're, you're breaking all kinds of ground. It's great. And yeah, there's, there's always unexpected um, bribes or, you know, as Fadi <laughs> diplomatically put it, back channel payments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it stresses me out every year. I mean, it also depends on where we're exporting to, right? It's like we, most of our coffees are going to the U.S., but there's new markets in Australia and mm. then um, Spain and Switzerland and all these places require different things. And then they want to work with wow. different logistics people. And I'm like, no, let's just use this one group because they know exactly how to do it. You guys can't choose anyone else because then every time yeah. there's a new person being thrown in, it's just... They don't know. They don't know. So yeah, I mean, um, it's it's precious cargo, so it's like very stressful. Um, and it's traveling so far. Like I just cannot afford for anything to go wrong. Yeah. How was that? Did when you shipped their first pallet, was that with other coffees, or was that an LCL with other products coming out of Vietnam? It was an LCL. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was other products coming out of Vietnam, but it was definitely. Um, I remember they had to like pick the right containers, didn't have anything that would be contaminants yeah. for the coffee beans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and exporting, you know, you think military people use a lot of acronyms. Um, oh my yeah. god. God, there are so many. Yeah, so. <laughs> I remember Bobby um, gave me the sheet of like acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know what I still don't always I still don't always know what they mean. I kind of know what they represent, but I don't always know yeah. what they stand for. The acronym. And the thing is, is like we only export for us once a year, right? So it's not this thing I'm yeah. constantly Doing. like right. seeing yeah. every day. Yeah. It's like I feel like every year it's a new thing to do. And it's it's old, like like early twentieth century. British trading terms like what the hell is a lading? Like, <laughs> yeah, I've been lading. True, true. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that whole like exporting importing industry is like pretty archaic. Like, as someone who was learning it for the first time, it's so difficult to learn. Like, none of the stuff from beginning to end is really outlined anywhere on the internet. I, I felt like I was yep. putting together pieces of a puzzle constantly, um, and so much of it is just done like through phone calls and emails like i I can't go into like an online portal to see everything perfectly organized like i wish everything would go through one streamlined portal but like most new technology platforms it's like oh dogs flying everywhere yeah yeah Yeah. on, on top of that you have like these lifelong like bureaucrats or you know people who have held like a desk for 30 years and they're like hoarding work and, you know, like, no, you have to pass through these gates in order to get that certificate ready for your export or something. Yeah. It's like the, I don't know, it's like the old guy in the yep. office who, yep. like, all the paperwork has to go through. And you're like, this one freaking bottleneck. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I still can't explain to, to my farmer friend who, who want to export like about the step one to 10, this is what you have to do. <laughs> because I've been doing this for seven years. I, I still can't tell them because every time it's different. 
And yeah, yeah. It's, it's really difficult. But congratulations yeah. for getting that, that first one out. <laughs> yeah, we have all beaten yeah. through that. I wanted to ask, in terms of quality, has it improved over time from the first lot that you that you import into the U.S.? Yes, it has because yeah. that's that's been a constant, an ongoing conversation in our partnership as well, mm-hmm. right? Where like, mm-hmm. Untient believes like X is a certain level of quality, and it is because um, his experience has only been really Vietnam and like Japan and maybe Germany. So he'll, you know, so it's always back and forth where I'm like Untient, like. American, I'll be like, I'll be like, can hang with me, like, caught thin love, like, like they're very American consumers are very difficult, like they're very, very picky, like, like we cannot have this many Quakers in here, right? Or like, yeah. um, I'm like, also like we can't have, um, you know, um, you know these the shells in here, right? I'm like, can you please help me like sort this better? Like, can you please mm-hmm. help me like do this better, right? So because he doesn't know what American consumers really expect. So, and so that is an ongoing conversation. And so the quality has gotten better, which is great. And yeah, and I think that's, and I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, honestly. Always is. Yeah, there is. What's great, but also what's difficult about your model is you're learning and also teaching on the farm level, but you're also educating your consumers, right? Of what, what you're all about or what Vietnamese coffee is all about. Yeah. And so it's like, you can kind of say F you to a lot of the specialty coffee industry peeps. Yeah. Cause then you're, 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 you're not, you're not following certain, certain who, who considers the hierarchy or totally. who considers what is best. You're kind of creating, you are creating your own standards. Totally, right? totally. And then you, you, you meet the farmers. You're, you're also improving their processes, right. but at the same time, you're on the consumption end and teaching them and sharing with them mm-hmm. um, what is true to your culture um, and what's available too. So, um, which is different. Yeah, you said so many things I want to touch upon there, Carmel. So the first thing is, I, I definitely want to acknowledge that like, Antian teaches me so much about coffee, right? Like he's extremely passionate about coffee it's his family business and so every time we make trips like i learned so much from him about farming and how he farmed and you know we'll roast together and he'll like teach me little tricks about how he roasts and so it really truly is such a beautiful relationship of back and forth teaching and so i'm, I'm really grateful to have you know his partnership and his 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 guidance as well in the coffee world and you know i asked you the question about the expos earlier because when i started the company one, I was like a little like intimidated by the industry, but then two, I was also like, I don't really give a shit about what the industry thinks, right? Like if I did, I would have no chance here, right? And so I never like did the expo stuff. I've never like gone, I mean, I'm cool with SCA with social media stuff, but I never like sought like their like approval or all that stuff. So for me, I like, yes, me and the farmers where they're at, but I, it's also like, I actually met the consumers where they're at, right? Because while the industry has all these ideas and narratives, a lot of it doesn't trickle down to consumers. Like a lot of consumers actually are so unaware and, and not that they don't care, but at the end of the day, it's about the experience for them, right? They, they want like a cup of coffee that tastes good to them, right? However that is produced or brewed or whatever. And so the education piece is so critical for our mission um, because if we can't grow the awareness or in the appreciation for Vinny's coffee and like Robusta coffee, then I can't grow my, my, my partnership, right? With, 
farmers and we can't also, we can't create an outgrow as model. We can't expand the work that we're doing. So the ed education piece is really critical. And for me, I've just continued to listen to consumers and, you know, 75% of all of our coffee sales are like Robusta coffees, right? Or Robusta blends. And it's all over our website in our reviews. And we have over 2,300 customer reviews on our sites and 91% of them are five out of five stars, right? And we're not saying we're better than anyone. We're not saying we're better than Arabica. We're just saying like, we need to expand our offerings, right? And just allow people to like what they want to like instead of saying like, Arabica is superior and inferior is like not to be touched, you know? So that's been also very exciting, just um, meeting consumers where they're at, but really just like connecting and listening to consumers rather than trying to meet the approval of like the industry or the gatekeepers. Yeah. So I, I want to get on the consumer side for a second and mainly about you. So you grew up with an idea of Vietnamese coffee and what it's supposed to be and what it tastes like, whatever that was, because we're, you know, growing up in the diaspora, we are very familiar with Cafe Du Monde as our main, you know, coffee product, because that was the thing that came closest, you know. Um, and then after a while with our generation, that became kind of what it was. Um, so how is that versus what you've learned along the way? And then on top of that versus what you've created and kind of expanded upon after that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I always like to, when I'm engaging this conversation with consumers or when they're like, oh, Cafe Du Monde, we means coffee, right? And, I, and again, we're very, we're always, we're very, very careful about like in our approach and in like the way we engage with coffee and coffee culture to never be exclusive or dogmatic or like you know pedantic right so we're never like yuck cafe du monde we're, ne we're never like oh cafe du monde is that well like cafe du monde is a big part of Vietnamese immigration history and the Vietnamese diaspora like cafe du monde has a place in our culture in our society right and cafe du monde is one option for a coffee if you enjoy that type of coffee which is generally like pre-ground you know, a little bit more bitter it's cut with chicory which is not common in vietnam but it's probably cut with chicory because it's like multi-origin for whatever reason so it's like i try to outline it as like that's one option and this is like another option with single origin it's direct trade it's family farm owned it's fresh roasted in brooklyn and that's a different option right so not like that's gross stop drinking that but when we first launched there was a lot of that talk of cafe dumon and and i think cafe dumon is like such a special brand you know it, it i think it really yeah. was something that it was so reminded so many vietnamese immigrants and, and like early refugees of their home country is very strong and also like new orleans style coffee has to be in condensed milk like everything in the south like that really remind them of home and also, it was very, like, I think economically viable for a lot of immigrants, right? It was, like, accessible and relatable. And so today, if that's what you want to keep drinking, like, sure. However, just really being keen on expanding the conversation. of If we're going to talk about Vietnamese coffee, let's include the people and the communities around this product and not just reduce it to sweet and condensed milk. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like to say that when, yeah, when we have faced with this kind of you know, different kind of markets, different players and how some consumers or, or specialty roaster like look down on other uh, type of coffees. I mean, I like to say that, you know, it, it, we need them because, you know, all we will not be able to produce specialty coffee without their help as well because some of the 
stuff that we get sorted out. Some of the, uh, I, I did this calculation before that if we only sell specialty grade coffee, we would only make, you know, barely make enough to cover the cost. It's the realization of that defects and stuff that we sorted out. If we can turn that into cash, that's our profit. It's almost the same amount of that's the profit. Uh, yeah, so so it, it we we need to really it's almost a coexistent kind of thing that that we really need to work together. And they and all these people who are consuming, you know, the traditional Vietnamese coffee, they a lot of them will start there first before they get to us <laughs> the stuff that we do. Then in Thailand, you need to first probably start people to drink Nescafe. Oh, I well, I don't know if I should say the name, but. But you you know all these instant coffee first before they they educate themselves and get to where they are right now. So so that that's I I also feel the same thing when people look down on other types of coffee. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like there's a coffee experience for everyone out there, right? And then on the other end of that, there's a grower for every type of coffee experience, and there are people who in the, all around the world who are gonna drink instant coffee and that's absolutely fine. Like I still drink instant coffee today sometimes here, right? Um, and I think when I think about like, for me, when I think about like the next wave of coffee, like yes, right now we're kind of, we're starting to like reshape the conversation through this lens of like specialty. However, that's where we are today. But really my vision is just like to really broadly think about, when we, broadly for the future of coffee, it's about how do we engage with coffee in all its different forms whether it's specialty or instant with cultural integrity right really thinking about the people and the communities who are producing this coffee whether it's coffee for the instant market or coffee for the specialty market right i feel like we i i feel like we that's where we are pushing it right just like as a society and culture just like more care and respect for for the people and the lives behind the product rather than just like quickly diminishing the the lives and the people to the value of the product, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, and I want to totally I, I want to highlight that point of, you know, specialty coffee that the word itself is a built-in limiter, you know, it it's special. So that means there's not as much of it. Mm. And it lives on top of this large, large volume of commodity coffee. Mm -hmm. And there's no other way it can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the people that produce the commodity side are themselves also important to talk about, yes. right? Uh, right. Yes. And a lot of the specialty coffee that we get are, it's just kind of skimming the cream off the top of what's already being produced <laughs> in the commercial world anyway. So, That's right. yeah. Yeah. Specialty would not exist without commercial. So how do we how do we make how do we make the that commercial coffee better? Mm -hmm. I think that's the more interesting challenge anyway. And you know, it, instant doesn't have to live on the commercial side. We've already seen example. We're continuing to see more examples of people producing specialty instant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, of course, there are different like volume based challenges in that. But you know. That movement, I think, is what is going to lead to whatever, if we want to continue talking about waves, um, you know, I, I want to I say that we're, t we're moving into maybe a no wave where it's more of a gradient, you know, mm. like this, the coffee gradient. And how do we blur the lines even further and 
bring more people better experiences with their coffee, not mm. just these cognoscenti up, you know, up and up high drinking the best washed Panama geishas all the yeah. time. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. That, that's great. But you know, like it, we, we got to have regular stuff too. And yeah. we want the regular stuff to be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that's so much more interesting to me anyway. Mm. And, you know, I don't, the everyday coffee. Like, yeah, every day. I don't want to feel like some some gemstone buyer just looking for the best cuts, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we make it all good? And yeah. and that's that's like that's the good work. Let's let's yeah. make that the wave or the mm-hmm. no wave, whatever we want to <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a really great question to ponder and think about. It's like how do we make the commodity or everyday coffee better? Yep. And what does better mean? And who gets to decide what better is, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's a living, breathing, ongoing and evolving thing. And I love it. I'm here for that. I'm here for that, too. But no, is there the for me going towards like it's 2021 it has been a couple of years since you've started. Mm -hmm. What is what have you learned throughout those couple years mm-hmm. starting when you you know you survived covid and you're making a name for yourself and of Vietnamese coffee is this where you saw yourself at when you started <laughs> um no I, I would say no <laughs> I, I didn't see myself anywhere really when I started I just felt like I was just constantly just trying to like keep one foot in front of the other you know, just like keep figuring it out. just keep trying to do better, a little bit better each time. Um, definitely didn't see myself here. I was just hoping to do good and just to be able to keep growing and sustaining myself and my team. Like that was just like the exciting part. Um, your question, Carmel, was what did I, what have I learned over the last few years? Um, oh gosh, so much. I've learned so much. Um, where do I start? Besides the exporting stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say it. I was going to make a joke before that we, we were stuck at the port for so long that our uh, conversation was like a microcosm of how difficult the bean got here. But now I, I'm glad that we finally got to the consumers. <laughs> so, so, yeah, now, now we are you know, asking her. Uh, what, she, what she's learning and then next step. So, so I'm glad we, we got here. So, so uh, if it, but I think I will add a question <laughs> on top of that is that what, what you see as the next challenge for, for your company? Like, mm-hmm. are there things that you haven't done yet? Or are there mm-hmm. things that you want to try? Or is it business as usual for the next few years now? Just grow in the mm-hmm. market? Yeah, mm-hmm. just curious about that. How do you see yourself? I, I wanted to say, how do you see yourself in five years? But I'm pretty sure we all got it wrong in our five-year plan with this COVID thing. So, yeah. so, so yeah. I'm like I'm like thinking two weeks at a time at this point. Yeah. So, so what have you learned? Uh, I'll come out question and and what are other things that you want to do with the company? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What have I learned? So I have learned that um, change takes a lot of effort and a lot of intention, and it takes time. And I've learned that it is possible because I feel like what I've seen collectively with everyone over the last two years alone, it's like, it's incredible. Like whether it's like change systematically with our supply chain or change agriculturally with our production or change 
socially and culturally with the narrative totally shifting now stateside with consumers it's incredible and and so i would i say i would say i've learned that a change is possible and however it takes a lot of work so that's been a huge learning lesson um for us and then this kind of ties into your question Fadi, of like the challenge i feel is next for the company i've lately i've been thinking a lot about like as we grow what do we need to do today to ensure that our values in like our original core mission is there as we grow, right? Like I'm just anticipating all of the stories that people tell me like, oh, as you grow that as companies scale, you have to compromise this for that or compromise this for like profit or whatever, whatever. And, and so I'm just kind of like thinking really early now, of like what systems do I need to put in place? Like what legal documents do I need to put in place um, for, to ensure that like the values across um, equity or pay or sustainability are like maintained throughout all of the different growth stages of the company is something that I'm thinking a lot about. Um, Cause I just imagine that things could get complicated or maybe they won't get complicated. Um, <laughs> just kind of like thinking really early, like where do you draw the line and the boundaries when it comes to like, things around compensation and equity and quality and value. I just feel like these are things that I, I feel like I, I'm anticipating as a challenge and, and candidly as a company grows and as we bring on more investors to help the company grow and to make sure that like, you know, when more people enter the company, there are more thoughts, more ideas. And so just thinking right now a lot about um, what, what we can do to establish a foundation so that even as more people enter the company that the, our values are carried out. Does yeah. that make sense? Um, yeah, no, it totally does. And it's like safeguarding. Yeah. And it's exciting too, to know that you're at that stage, right. Mm -hmm. Of like, Oh, this is our growing pains. And now I have to kind of see the systems that we've put in place and can they, are they are they the framework that can get us to the next level or do you need to expand that? It seems like also legal documentations that you'll need to put in place um, to make sure the conversations once you bring in outsiders in, right? mm -hmm. so, um, mm -hmm. which is fun and also scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah. have, have you toy a lot with, I mean, uh, with, with, you know, uh, venture capital and stuff and are you going to take, go that route and keep growing that way in the future because we i think a lot of us don't as in have not has experience with that because you live in in a place where it seems access to capital in this way seems to be um, much easier have you thought of that and have you do you see it as as future growth plan Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we are not venture backed. Um, so to clarify that when I launched a company, I launched it, I'm a solo founder. So I launched it with my savings and like a credit card, racked it up to 20k. Um, and eventually, <laughs> eventually got it down. And then I, I, I raised a little bit of money from friends and family and the angels, um, but not much to be honest. Um, but the question of venture, not venture, angels, angels, private equity, I've considered all of that. I'm learning a lot about that world, honestly, right now. However, I'm not fixated on one path that's best for the company. I've heard tons of people say, like, don't take VC money. You don't need to take VC money. They place, like, these really horrible expectations on you to grow, 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 and that can just crumble a great business. And so I'm not fixated on either path. Um, I, I am 
intent on growing the company. And so if for me, I think about like, who are the strategic partners I can bring on to bring value to the company um, that would help us grow um, sustainably is, is how I would think about it. Sometimes it could be a VC, they're like a good fit, um, or sometimes they may not. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. What does that growth look like for you, Sarah? Like, does that mean um, B2B? You're pretty focused on B2C at this point, right? Correct. Like online subscription models? Yes, correct. Um, and that's amazing to know that you're doing that two times worth. I like that's we tried to do that for Calsada and I was like oh my god this is like a different skill set we need to focus on the farm level at this point oh but, yeah you know, yeah two, so two much so what does that two, <laughs> two two containers <laughs> sorry <laughs> two containers <laughs> let's clarify it, that it's so much yeah it's uh, so much to do so we're currently like we launch as direct to consumer e-commerce and we're currently 84 percent direct to consumer um and then we have 60 percent wholesale right However, our wholesale, we don't have a dedicated wholesale person. We're just, we're like a team of five full-time right now. We just hired the fifth person like 50 days ago. In all of 2020, it was just two people, me, one other person, right? So we're slowly growing, but all of our, so we have like this growing B2B channel of 16%, um, but we don't really have dedicated resources to it, right? We don't have a dedicated salesperson. It's kind of scattered between me and other people in the company. Uh, we can't compete with other roasters who give out free espresso machines, you know, or yep. like free maintenance <laughs> and all this stuff. So, however, I will say all of our wholesale is through inbounds and we have like over 600 inbounds to date. We get inbounds every week for VB's coffee. And so that's just an indicative, like the interest is growing, which is great. Um, in terms of, Can you explain what inbound is just for our yes. um, podcast yes. listeners that might not know what that is? Yeah, inbound is, an inbound is when a business reaches out to us um, and, um, seeking to sell our coffee rather than us going out to them and trying to sell our coffee to them. So um, the inbounds, the people reaching out with interest is affirming of the narrative shift and the culture shift. So in the future, you know, D2C is great, but it's very volatile. Um, anyone who's in D2C will know that like Facebook, Instagram marketing is like very volatile, and unpredictable because there are things that can change with like the flip of a switch that's out of your control, whether it's things like an iOS 14 update on the iPhones that just like changes data sharing, which is great for privacy and it should be that way, right? But then that makes like retargeting or like finding people more difficult. And then on, on the other end, like Facebook's algorithm is also changing like their attribution model. So all that to say, it's very it, there's a, there's lack of a control in that area. Um, and so D2C is great. However, we do want to become more like omni-channel. So we want to grow our wholesale business. We want to, you know, be more present in um, restaurants and cafes. And then we also really would love to grow our retail channel. So being more present in like grocery stores and um, supermarkets around the country. I feel like I just woke up and we're almost at the end. Of the show. <laughs> I have to tell the listener no. that that you know we started here in Thailand when we were at seven a.m. So, <laughs> but I, I have two I have two questions that I, I wanted to ask. How how has COVID affected your company? Has it helped because you're you're focused on online as well, but you probably lose some wholesale and the situation with uh, Asian uh, racism 
uh, in in the U.S. Has that impacted your your business at all? So two mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, I would say that with COVID, like specifically COVID in March 2020, um, you know, we're based in New York City, Brooklyn, and at one point, New York City was the epicenter of COVID. So when that first happened, um, we like lost all of our wholesale. Naturally, everyone shut down. But then our e-commerce just skyrocketed, right? So we were really lucky to have an infrastructure and a business model that was already primarily e-commerce and everyone who was doing work from home. And then like, we have a very, very strong community. You know, we focus a lot on community building online um, who just like really supported our brand. Um, so we, we did grow quite a bit in 2020, like 13, 13X our growth online. Wow. Um, <laughs> we started small. Congrats. We started, we started small baseline. <laughs> Um, but that is the, that is the metric. Um, so we were lucky about that. And in terms of like um, the second part of your question, Fadi was like, how how has anti Asian anti Asian violence racism impacted our business? It's I can't draw a direct correlation to that. Um, it's like a double edged sword where it's like all of a sudden in 2021, like everyone wants to talk about the Asian American community. You know, like there's a spotlight on us, but it's like people only want to talk about us in this moment of trauma and crisis, right? And it's like horrible but it's like oh it's like finally we have the mic you know so (laughs) (laughs) you're like visibility (laughs) but like not because of this right um it sucks that the framing of our community is always in a negative context of like trauma and right right in violence and racism and crises um i can't draw a direct correlation to how that's impacted our business but i would say that we have just gotten a little bit more visibility because everyone's like Asian owned brands to support, which is which I'm I'm grateful for that. I, I really am, but however, let's just be clear. Um, supporting Asian owned brand does not stop racism at all, right? Or the violence at all. Like I think it's important to support and redistribute capital um where you can. And that is one effort and intention, but that does not directly solve like racism or and or your racist behavior period yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. amen like, i'll take your money but let's be clear this is not a problem that's happening you're like oh there's some guilt to behind this request but i'll take that but so you know p.s but wait, can I, just, I need to add on that because when that was happening and you know all we've always used our social media platform to amplify different issues that were happening in the u.s whether it was like you know um you know anti-black and police violence or like police brutality or like anti-Asian violence. Like we've always used that platform to educate beyond the Vietnamese Asian American community. However, when it came to anti-Asian violence, like we were really keen as a brand and a platform when we were using social media, we never had a call to action that said, no, I'm sorry. We never had a call to action that said like buy our stuff or like, or even to like, we didn't, we didn't even say donate, right? Because we didn't want people to just feel like they could put money somewhere and feel better. We were like, learn read follow these accounts read 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 some read a book about you know the history of asian americans in america like there's just so much i feel like what with everything that's been happening there's such such an eagerness um to just throw money somewhere and feel like they've done their deed for the day and and i just i remember we were really keen on like let's not ask people to donate because then that's going to be their call to action like let's ask people to listen and learn so much learning to do and i, I I think I want to, um, I mean, we're definitely coming towards a conclusion, um, and I guess I want to make it future looking for Nguyen Coffee Supply. Do, I mean, you don't have to talk about what is like 
uh, secret and in the works, but do you have any like dream products that you want to release? Are there any things that you want to create um, moving forward? Yeah, great question. Um, lots of dream products. Um, I, I'm trying to think about when the right time is to release like a dark roasted line because all of our coffees right now are medium roast. Um, so we'd love to release like a dark roasted line soon. For us, it's like simply purely a matter of like inventory and space and bandwidth. Like, oh, we have three SKUs. Like I can hang on to three SKUs. Like can I handle six? <laughs> like so much. So maybe like, I really want to experiment with more unique roast profiles, maybe different blends. Maybe like we do a really fun limited edition drop of like the mocha bean um, from the lot, which people love. So I, that's in the world of coffee. Yes, for sure. Would love to build upon the fiend filter experience more for Americans here. We currently have a few different fiend filters, but I, I personally would like to keep iterating on that product um, and seeing how we can make it better and more fun for people. And then, of course, I mean, for sure in the future, we also would like to, you know, release like a ready to drink coffee um, because we know, yes. we, yeah, because we don't have like a brick and mortar and we are e commerce. So we kind of want to have a product that can get people to like, the drinking part of it sooner and just the, the taste yeah. so we, we definitely will be working on that in the near future mm -hmm. oh yes that's great people love easy yeah um, they yes. love easy yeah <laughs> that's so great I, oh wow i i think we could probably just go <laughs> twice as long as we already have um maybe we just need to have like a, a monthly catch-up meeting or something yeah There's so yeah. much good vibes going on here um, so much. I, yeah. I want to really i want to thank you for taking the time and and doing this with us and uh just everything you do and of course i want you to feel like you can always reach out to us oh, uh, we are a resource for you and for sure um, yeah. you'll probably be a resource for us as well and i just Many thanks, and I'm so happy to know you. Yes, <laughs> Many I'm thanks. So glad to have Many you thanks. on the show. Yes, I love the work that you all are doing on the ground, you know, across Southeast Asia with the farms. Like, it really is a collective effort, right? From the farm yeah. to the consumer education to shifting the narrative. Like, my work wouldn't be possible without your work and, like, vice versa with consumer culture having more of an appreciation for something in conference so i'm so proud to know you all and i'm so grateful for your work and your presence and i'm really excited for the world that we're building together yeah same virtual hug <laughs> great until one day we create our own southeast asia coffee workshop thing you know outside of <laughs> coffee events mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, man. we we did so, because but... the venue was too expensive Our... that's true we did oh great well thanks a lot thank you <laughs> thank you so right. much everyone we'll see you later, yeah, have a great thank day you. have a great evening bye all right bye you sarah too. thank Talk you soon. thank you to our guest sarah nguyen remember to follow her on instagram at one ounce gold and at nguyen coffee supply while you're there follow us at jungle coffee coalition thanks for listening